Let's read together James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And since you're watching online this morning, I am going to try to be a little more brief. I know it's hard sometimes when it's a talking head on a screen to stay focused for this long. So let's just go into this. James chapter 4, 13 through 17. Look here, he says, you who say, today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Um, how many of you know that your life is like fog? Just not necessarily morning fog, but just fog in general. You get up in the morning, you're kind of in a fog before you have your coffee. That, that's not really the kind of fog he's talking about, but that's definitely me most, most mornings. Uh, your life is like a morning fog. Then he clarifies, it's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is this. If the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Wow, I can't get my page to turn. Then he goes on to say, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do, and then not do it. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when my plans um, have to change. I don't like last-minute adjustments. I don't like having to change our minds. Just last week we announced as a church that we would be starting up children's ministry on the 28th and now it seems our plans are going to have to change once again. I don't like that. Uh, I don't like the fact that a year ago my daughter and I faithfully drove, I drove her, she practiced to softball practice to get ready for her varsity season for her sophomore year and and then all of a sudden our plans changed and there was no sophomore year Uh, varsity softball season. I don't like change. I don't like adjustments to be made to my plans. I'm not a plan person. I do like to kind of play by the seat of my pants and kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I didn't say that right. I'm a last minute person. I I like to adjust on the fly to some degree, but there are certain things in life that I really want to make a plan about. And I think a lot of us are that way. Some of us become so obsessed with our plans and and we think so much about the plan for the future that maybe we kind of forget about today. And, And so James kind of addresses that. It would appear that some of the Jewish Christians that James is writing to have placed so much stock in their plans that that they're unwilling to bend from that or they're unprepared for what changes might come. And James is kind of issuing to them a warning about how they're going to live their lives. And he kind of gives us three thoughts on that. And the first one is this. He makes the point that life is short. Life is short. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed another week. We're not guaranteed another year or even another two years. We're we're not guaranteed anything. Now, some of you might say some people's lives are short, and and certainly some people's lives are cut far shorter than the rest of us. But even a life that that is lived to the grand old age of, of 80 or 90 or whatever age you think is a complete life is short when compared to creation. It's short when it's compared to eternity. I mean, think about how many thousands of years we've lived on this earth. And even just in the history of earth alone, our lives are almost a little blip on the radar um, when it comes to that. Our lives are so short in comparison to the lives that have been lived all throughout the history of this world. And, And when you tack onto that eternity, our lives become almost 
nothing in that. And that's why James says, your lives are like the morning fog, which, which comes in the morning, but by early in the morning or even later in the morning, the sun comes up and it kind of burns away. It's wonderful imagery. Unlike a lot of the illustrations used in Scripture, we can identify with that one, I think. You know, sometimes when he talks about, you know, shepherds and sheep or farming, those don't connect. But I, for one, have many times during my vacations, you know, found a spot where I could sit and have my morning coffee and just kind of watch the morning fog and, and see the peacefulness of it and, and maybe watch the wild night, wildlife that because it's kind of hidden in the fog will, will wander maybe closer to me than, than normal. And then as the morning progresses, that fog just slowly lifts as the sun starts to burn through it. And it really is a beautiful scene to behold. But once the fog burns away, you almost can't tell that it was ever there. And friends, that's what our lives are like. Our lives are short when you put them in the context of eternity. And, and, and so the lesson there is we should never put off for tomorrow what we can do today. That was something my grandmother used to say to me. And mostly she was talking about all the chores I didn't want to do. Amen? Um, but there's more to it than that. You know, there's a lot of good things in life that sometimes we put off that we shouldn't put off. I have to confess to you that that there's one benefit of, of being here without the rest of the congregation. For the most part, it royally stinks. I don't like it. But because the rest of you aren't here, my grandson is here this morning because, you know, Kylie felt fairly safe. And as I was standing off to the side, he was sitting there and she was holding him and, and he was looking at me over her shoulder, right? And, and his beady little eyes were trained right on me as I was worshiping. And I'm starting to understand now why the people who sit over here behind Stephanie and her little one can't ever listen to the sermon because he was staring at me and I could barely concentrate, right? Um, I'll tell you what, I know Pat Gilbert knows this, just like I'm learning it, that spending time with that little guy is something I should never put off for tomorrow. I should take every advantage of doing that today. Why? Because our lives are short. We're not guaranteed another minute. And let me tell you something, we need to take the opportunities we have and cherish them with the people that we love and invest in the people that are around us. Because we may not have much time. So we need to take advantage of the things that, that we have or the time that we have and make the most of every moment to do the things that God has placed us on this earth to do because we may not have a tomorrow. You know, I've heard a lot of people say when it comes to the church, for instance, that, that they'd love to be retired someday so that they can commit more time to the church. And I'm here to tell you that, that if you keep putting that off, by the time you get retired, you're going to be so tired, you still won't want to do it. Amen? There are some that have found that out, and, and there are others that have put their thoughts into retirement and, and waited to enjoy life with their family even until retirement, only to discover that all of the time that they invested into preparing for retirement has caused them to essentially become estranged for their families, or, or maybe their spouse passed away before they ever got to retire. Friends, we need to relish every moment and enjoy the time we have today and utilize every moment to be the people God's called us to be. We need to make the most of every moment because life is short. He then goes on to say that life is something else. It's unpredictable. Well, we've sure learned that over the last year, haven't we? I mean, many of us had grand plans before 2020 hit, and it just seemed like time after, or, or thing after thing after thing kept coming up, and 2020 was kind of a train wreck. But I got news for you. Life has always been unpredictable, not just in 2020. We don't know what the future holds. None of us knows what will happen tomorrow. Now, 
as human beings with, with brains that sometimes we, we get a little carried away with, we have become experts at trying to predict what's going to happen based on, you know, what has happened in the past. There are historians, for instance, that can look back and, and see trends and, and kind of um, make estimates on what's going to happen in the future. There are financial people who can gather data about the markets and about companies and about what's going to happen and about different things that are happening around the world and they can estimate what some stocks are going to do and, and are they going to rise, are they going to fall. And unfortunately, some of those same people take that data and use it to manipulate the market, which is illegal. But anyway, we, we do this. We become people who can basically predict the future, or at least we think we can, and we use statistics to do that. We also do that in the area of sports. Um, some of us use um, sports stats to, to kind of predict what's going to happen. I wish I was better at this so that my fantasy football team didn't stink every single year. But baseball especially is one of those sports where we do this. And interestingly, I, I, I saw a movie this week on Netflix that I'd never watched before. Anybody see Moneyball? Anybody ever seen Moneyball? Raise your hand if you've seen Moneyball. They, I usually don't like movies like this. They look too slow for me. But for whatever reason, I flipped it on this week, and I watched it, and I was amazed. It was really cool. And basically, I'm going to get some of it wrong probably, but basically it's about this manager, or this, um, not manager, but um, higher up in the organization, general manager, I guess, of the Oakland A's way back. In, and basically, the, the long and short of it is he got sick and tired of being a poor ball club. Basically, they were so poor, they couldn't afford all the big-name players. And if they did get a good player, as soon as they went into free agency, some other rich team would just snap them up like that and pull them away with a contract. And they were constantly getting better and better, and they'd get really close, and then they'd lose, and then all their good players would get basically taken by more wealthy teams. And, and so this guy was looking for some way to get better without having to spend a bunch of money, which they didn't have. And so he discovered this guy who was able to take some statistics and make some, some things. And everybody thought this guy was nuts because, you know, he was all for just looking at the stats and not looking at all the stuff that everybody else looked at. You know, scouts would go look at a player who looked big and athletic and could hit home runs, and they'd say, that's the guy. And then sometimes they would bring that guy on, and they wouldn't turn out to be much at all. This guy just looked at the stats, nothing else. And basically he created this system, this algorithm in a computer that would look at the stats of all these players and predict who a team could bring on so that they could win. And basically he picked a lot of guys that couldn't hit at all, but their on-base percentage was better. And what that means was they walked a lot. You know, they were basically, they would stand there and take pitches all day long and they would get walked a lot for whatever reason. Well, nobody wants those kind of players. Everybody knows you got to swing the bat, right? How many of you in Little League had your dad yell that from the stand? you got to swing the bat to get a hit! I am that dad. I apologize for that to my children. Um, but you got to swing the bat. Everybody knows that. And so basically this manager bought in and, and he starts building a team around this model. And for the first, like, I don't know, eight weeks of the, the season or whatever it was, it just was abysmal. Like they lost every game. The manager wasn't on board and he kept playing people wrong. Finally, partway through the season, everybody got on the same page and they started to win. And they won like 19 games in a row, which apparently is huge in baseball. I don't follow baseball, professional baseball, that closely to know. But apparently that's huge. It just didn't happen back then. 19 games in a row they'd won. And they were going for the record or something, which was 20. And so the 20th game happens, and they're 10 runs up. And everybody thought it's in the bag because they followed this, this template. These statistics told them the future and, and predicted what they should do. And they were all in, and they knew what was going to happen. And so suddenly, in the middle of this game, for no good reason, the other team starts hitting the ball all over the place and scoring runs. Five runs one inning, two innings another inning, 
two more innings this inning, three more in this inning. And finally, they got to the point where in the ninth inning, they tied the ball game. They went into the bottom of the ninth. And the Oakland A's, which were, you know, just dumbfounded that this team came from 10 runs behind to tie the game, had one more at-bat to spend. And so the, the coach, the manager, who basically had bought into the system, decided to do what they'd been doing. And he called on one of his hitters, pulled him off the bench and said, you're going in to hit for so-and-so. And, and he put him in. And this guy was not a big hitter. He was just a guy that gets on base. He was one of those guys that would stand there and stare at pitches until they walked him. And had high percentage, he would get a walk. And he, I'm sure the manager figured, we'll get him on base. Hopefully somebody else will hit him in and we'll get a good run. Well, inexplicably. Against the statistics, this guy on the second pitch swings the bat, which, you know, there are players on every team that when us coaches see them swing the bat, we go, oh, please God. You know, it's just one of those experiences. And this guy hits the ball, and to everybody's amazement, it leaves the park. He hit a home run, a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth, and they won their 20th game by one run, and the crowd goes wild, and the guy who put together this whole system of statistics is sitting in the fans with eyeballs this big going, how did that happen? Why? Because no one would have predicted it. You see, as much as we might think that with stats and statistics and knowledge and all of the learning that we have and the algorithms and the computer programs, you still don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Things may go the way that we think they will, but they might not. And I'm here to tell you there is only one person who knows what tomorrow holds. I bet you can guess who it is. He's the very same person whose life is not short, but rather lasts for eternity. And it's our Heavenly Father because He sees time on one grand scale. He stands outside of time. He sees everything that could ever happen and all of the infinite possibilities of the choices that you and I have the opportunity to make. And yet, even though He knows what the outcome of every one of those choices is, He still doesn't take away our ability to choose. What an amazing God. And who better to trust our future to If he knows the future and we don't, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get on the same page with him and plan our future based on what he is? So this Moneyball movie totally gave me faith again in the unexpected and taught me that statistics won't win everything. I'm going to change the way I'm coaching my basketball team because of this. Now that was the movie I picked, just for the fun of it. Let me tell you about the movie my wife picked this week. She picked this stupid movie where a family goes to Thailand to vacation, a tsunami wipes out the entire island, and they spend the whole rest of the movie trying to find each other, and the mom almost dies. It was the most depressing movie I've ever seen in my life. Once again, an example of how things can happen that you don't expect, but I don't even want to talk about it because I'm still depressed. She's never picking another movie again, I'm just saying. I would have preferred a Hallmark movie, actually. Moving on. The third thing I want you to know this. Related to these two things, life is short, life is unpredictable. The, The answer to this, according to James, is this. We should invite God into our plans. He says, in in the way that he says it in the the scriptures, he says it this way. He says, you should say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. In other words, we need to let God be a part of the decision-making process that we put into our plans. And I would take it one step further. I don't think we should invite God even into our plan. I think we should look for his plan. And we should then get into that. 
We should look for what God is doing in our world, what God is doing in our family, what God is doing even in our personal lives and in our thinking. We should watch for signs of where he is at work. And instead of just working out our plan, I think we should basically go into it looking for his plan. Now, make no mistake about it, I believe that God does want us to plan. God is not against plans. In fact, throughout the whole Bible, he talks about the wisdom of making plans and the wisdom of of what it looks like to have a plan. But I believe that we need to make sure that our plan is subservient to the plan that God has for us or that we're willing to adjust our plan based on what we see him doing. And the way that we do that is this. We look for the good that is happening in the world around us. And we get on board with that. We look for places, um, organizations, or people that are doing things that, that echo the heart and the mind of God. We should look for organizations, for instance, that are basically making people's lives better in the biblical sense, that are helping people to overcome their disease and their sickness and their, their, their um, poverty and overcoming their bondage and their addictions and all of the effects of sin in this world. We should look for those kind of groups and those kind of people, people and organizations whose hearts beat with the heart of God, and then we should jump on board and help them complete their mission. It is my sincere hope that our church would be one of those organizations, that as we continue to find the plan of God for us, that we would be the kind of place that is making lives of people in our community better. And as we grow forward, as we become the kind of church that, that meets those needs and helps people overcome the effects of sin in their lives, that the people would be willing to jump on board with us because God is at work here, and I believe that he is. One of our sister churches has this great motto where they talk about people finding God's original plan or becoming what God originally wanted them to be. And I think that's a great thing to aspire to. And if we seek to be what God originally wanted us to be, there is no greater way to live life. And there is no better plan for your future. Friends, I just want to say this. It is not because of eternity that we should live out the plan that God has for us. It is because it is the best way in this life, here and now, to live our lives. Because your life will be better when you find the plan that God has for you. It's kind of like this. I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. More now than six months ago. In fact, I'm at Menards almost every day of my life now that I'm doing home improvement projects, buying new tools. But one of the things that used to really annoy me about my father-in-law is that my father-in-law would watch me use my tools and he would complain about one thing, and that was that I always used the tools in the wrong way. Like, for instance, he would regularly say to me, a screwdriver is not a chisel, Jeff. Don't use a screwdriver like a chisel or you'll break it. Or a screwdriver is not a pry bar. Have you figured out yet that screwdrivers, to me, are really the only tool I need? You can tap a nail in with a screwdriver handle if you really need to. It can happen. You can do it. But let me tell you something, if you misuse your tools that way, they often become broken and inefficient. And you will never accomplish as much as you could if you had the right tool. You know what I believe? I believe that as God looks at us, he sees us in some small way as his tools. Now, again, not in a bad sense, but in a good sense. And when we find the purpose that he has for us, we will no longer be broken. And we will no longer be inefficient. But we will find the purpose that he has for us and we will become the tool that he needs to to reach a lost and dying world for the kingdom of God. Friends, I believe it's the best way to live. So make your plans. 
But friends, make your plans based on what God wants for your life. And if you will do that, if we will come to an understanding that our lives are too short to, to misuse them doing the wrong thing, and that the future is too uncertain to just leave it up to chance, if we will make our plans, but make our plans based on what God is doing in our lives, I believe we will find the peace and the hope that so many of us are looking for, especially in times such as these. I want to invite you to pray with me, and I want to say a prayer over you as we get ready to face the rest of our week together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us in this time to come together again virtually. Lord, we know that, that you can unite our hearts and minds in this moment. And more importantly, that you are everywhere that people are that are hearing my voice. And I just want to ask right now that you would help them to, to see deep inside of themselves. And to understand that, that the plans that they may have for their future may be good plans. But that we need to be very careful that we don't spend so much time planning for the future that we forget to live in the present. And that we need to make sure that we understand that our plans may need to be adjusted each day because we don't know what the future holds. And so our plans should always be ready to shift when needed. And finally, most importantly, that if our plans aren't lining up with your plan for us, there's a very real sense in which we might always feel like we're just a little bit broken and and inefficient because we know that the best way to, to be fruitful and to live our lives with peace is to align our plan with your plan. And in so doing, I believe that we will see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that you would help each one who's hearing my voice right now to find that plan that you have for them. And I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to join us on Wednesday night for our prayer and praise service. I don't know who's leading worship yet, but Pat Gilbert will probably be here sharing the message and leading us in prayer. It's always a good time to connect during the week. We'll see you soon.